The following program is a rebroadcast. As a consequence, you will not be able to interact. Please do not text, email or call to avoid being unnecessarily charged. This is Strictly John Keith. Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Now, to become a professional footballer requires determination and dedication, as well as the necessity of raw talent. And to stay at the top of the game demands continuously challenging qualities. But my studio guest had something far greater to contend with than all of that and won a massive personal battle. Not only recovering from twice being told he had testicular cancer, but resurrecting his playing career, going on to Captain Everton, and now managing the club's under-21s. He chronicles his remarkable story, frankly and revealingly, in his brand-new book, appropriately titled How Football Saved My Life. It's a warm welcome to Alan Stubbs. Alan, thanks for coming up the City Tower. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I use the word in the introduction, determination, and, and what comes powerfully out of your book is this this sheer iron will you showed to beat cancer and play again. It, it was a great driving force to you, that, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, John, when you're, when you're a, a young lad growing up in Liverpool, um, I think that's a thing that shines through when you look at young lads mm. who are from Liverpool. There's a, there's a steely determination in them, and, you know, we question that now in modern-day football. And you know that was the one thing that 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 stuck with me. That when I was when I was you know going through my illness, is that the one thing that was 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 evident to me that is that I wanted to to play football. It was as if you know even though I'd had the bad news, I still had you know an awful long time to to keep playing, and yes. a, there was a, a steely determination to to make sure that that I, that I was going to kick a ball again. Yeah, because there's one passage in the book where where most people would say, am I going to be all right to the doctors? You say, am I going to play football yeah. again? So you assume you're going to be all right. It's a football that was there in the distance driving you on. Yeah, and, and I think when you sometimes you go through an illness, you need a carrot dangling at the end of it to try and yes. to keep you motivated, to keep you yeah. going, to keep positive, to take your mind off it. And that was the, the one thing that, that I was holding on to. Um, to start off, I didn't know whether it was a realistic um, a target, to be honest, because mm. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I kept trying to, to prize it out of the, 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 the surgeons, the specialists, you know, yes. am I going to play again? The first time was, was, was a pretty much straightforward yes. The second time was, was a, a couple of you know, specialists looking at each other. <laughs> Yes. Not really too sure whether to say, no. yeah, you'll you know you'll be back in two months. Because I suppose six it's months. not a question they're often asked, is it? That no, and that was the one thing that they said to me. Sit down. We're a little bit unsure here because we've never actually treated a professional footballer. Ah, right. He said, right. so we're not too sure. We're going to have to pass that one and put it in the hands of the of the physio, and mm. you're going to have to do your rehabilitation and see how it goes. Yes. Um, so. So it wasn't really the answer I was looking for initially because I wanted to hear it from the specialists say, yeah. yeah, no problem, you'll definitely play again. Yeah. But obviously, you know, they're the they're the professionals in their field. You know, they weren't yes. too sure what was going to happen. All they could say was whether their operation was a success or not. You yes. know, and on the second one, you know, the doctor who who done me, it was it was his last operation that was he was it, doing yeah. and he was retiring and he said 
I, I suppose this is this is their way of of, of thanking me and giving me a high profile person to, to go out oh. on he said so no pressure there then I <laughs> so. oh it's brilliant that now the title of the book as I said is How Football Saved My Life and that's that's not just poetic license because it's strictly accurate because what happened after you'd been on the losing Celtic side mm-hmm. against Rangers in the 1990 Scottish Cup final at Hamden it literally did save your life. Just take us through that. What happened there? Arthur. Yeah, we'd we'd um, we'd unfortunately just lost the game. Um, it was a you know a big occasion anyway to play in the in the Scottish sure, Cup final. Yeah. And the fact that it was against Rangers, you know, you can imagine. You know, Hamden was a sellout. Um, I think it was Rod Wallace. I think who scored the winner against yeah. us. And you know, we'd lost the game one 0 and then suddenly, you know, I'm disappointed as, as it is. And then I'm walking off, and I got pulled to one side by. By the drug testers and said, Alan, you've been chosen. You know, you're gonna to have to basically they man mark you then for for a however long it's gonna be until you until you can pass a urine sample. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. so you know, I've got to say initially me first thought was was frustration and, and anger really, because I wanted to be back in the dressing room with with my teammates and yeah, you know, li- not did I think for one minute that the chain of events that were gonna lead up after that. Would would literally, you know, lead to to it, that drug test saving me life, you yeah. know. So, I I got the after about I think an hour and a half, I was I was able to to pass a sample, you know, because you're dehydrated from the game and you'd, uh, you it have takes to a while to, yeah, to start, yeah, yeah. you know, getting yeah. the fluids back in your body. And then yeah. I'd done it, finished, and that was the end of the season. And then I'd I'd come back down to Liverpool. I was on me me holidays, and it was before I was due to go on holiday with the family and. I was playing golf with a couple of friends and I got a, a phone call and I think I was on it. I think it was about the 12th hole I was on yes. and I got a phone call, you know, and it was, it was Jack Mulhern, the club doctor. And he said, Alan, he said, you know, how are I said, yeah, fine. Great, great, Jack. How are you? And he said, yeah, no problem. He said, listen, I'm on the phone. He said, um, your drug test has come back positive. And I've gone, oh, I've Jack, you know, that's oh, impossible. It must be, it must be wrong. It must be faulty or whatever. He went, well, I've got to ask you. He said, you haven't been taking anything, have you? I went, come on, Jack. I said, you know you know me. He said, I know that, Alan. He says, which leads me on to my next question. Yeah. He said, have you, are you feeling okay? Do you feel, you know, any different? I went, no, I feel great. I feel, you know, really good. He went, well, the drug test is positive because you're producing a hormone that's normally only found in pregnant women. <laughs> he says, and then when it's found in men, it's linked to cancer. Right. He said, and that's why I've asked that question. And I've gone there, uh, so straight away I've thought, oh dear. You're you know, on a golf course and you hear the word cancer. Yeah, you know, mm. and then I said, well, well, what, what's the next step? You know, and he went, well, what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to bring you up to, to Glasgow, we're going to have to do an ultrasound um, test and then we'll, we'll speak to the specialist. He said, and he, he just was, was trying to reassure me, listen, I'm sure it's nothing, I'm sure it's, you know, it's, but we just need to get it checked and of get course. it cleared. Yeah. So... Two days later, uh, a car was sent down for me from 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 Celtic, and they took me and Mandy up, and I, w- I went and met the necessary um, specialists at the ultrasound scan, and that confirmed that I had testicular cancer. So it was basically a bit of a whirlwind couple of days then. I bet it was. Um, I spoke to the specialists. They told me what the, what the procedure was going to be. He says they were going to remove the testicle. Asked me whether I wanted a false one put in, and I, I thought, you know, straight away I thought, you know, listen, 
I'm man enough to to be able to cope with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. uh, I'm not. I'm not yes. that vain that I have to look and look in the mirror no. and it has to be balanced out. So <laughs> it didn't really bother me to be honest. No, I just wanted I'm it, sure it re- no. you know, removed. Uh, then they were going to do the biopsy, and then I would know a lot more then from the biopsy results. Mm. Um, I came back down to to Liverpool for the weekend, told my family, my friends, which was which was obviously you know quite hard you know to be able to tell someone this yeah. and I've got cancer and you yes. I, I found found throughout of all this that I become the strong one and the people around me become the weaker one for a good point yes. you know and yes. because it's they I'm the one who can deal with it yeah. they're they become the vulnerable because yeah. they can't do anything to affect and it's the very word isn't it yeah. it, it, you it know, strikes and, fear and it people. does and it's it, it's a, it's a really hard subject to talk about you mm. know and mm. I've always found that sometimes there is a little bit of a stigma that goes around the word cancer because for someone to try and have a conversation with someone, what do you, what do you say? How are you feeling? You know, how uncomfortable is that for someone to say to someone who's suffering with cancer? How are you feeling? Yes. Oh, yeah, I feel great. Yes. And and it's it's a bit of a conversation blocker, the, talking it about is. cancer. Yeah. Because there's yeah. not so much you can talk no. about, you know. And I think you've just got to be normal. You've just got to talk about every day, you know, because... It, you can feel uncomfortable saying to someone, you know, how are you feeling? You know, yeah. and you think, you know, well, I know you probably not feeling great, you know, but you, some, it's just an, the normal thing to ask someone. Yeah, what good advice that is. You know, yeah. and I think you've just got to be normal. You've just got to speak about, you know, everyday things. And obviously you're aware of it, but at the end of the day, even if you though you've got cancer, you're still the same person as what you was before yes. you got diagnosed yes, with indeed, it. Indeed, indeed. Um, and and that's what I, that's what I ask people to be. I just you know don't talk to me about you know illness or whatever. Just talk to me about general things. Of you know course. I didn't want to be be getting my mind to keep relaying back to the word cancer and the cancer and suddenly before you know it you start to feel down and you start to feel negative. And I just wanted people people around me to be really positive. I didn't yeah. want to be by myself. No, because you know we all as individuals, whenever we're not feeling too well, you know, when you're by yourself, you start to think, you know, even more down. You start to feel sorry for yourself. And, you know, I just wanted people to always be there or or actively doing something. So I didn't have to, you know, go back and start to think, well, what happens if this is bad? And Mm. am I going to die? You know, am I going to be okay? So... I just tried to be as active as possibly I could. And you had great support of your wife Mandy, of course. Yeah, yeah. The, me, my family were, were mm. what you'd expect anyone to be. You mm. know, it's. Mm. I think when anything like this this happens, your family come together. You know, they all rally around it's each other. It's a bonding thing. Yeah, isn't you it? do. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah you sometimes get a lot more visitors than sometimes you want <laughs> because you know everyone <laughs> yes. wants to come and see yes. you and knock at the door. And yeah. sometimes you get to a stage where you go. If mm. someone rings, just be mm. kind and you just say, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in yeah. or, yeah. you know, I've gone out or I'm asleep, yeah. you know, because you want your life to be normal and all. And mm. suddenly it takes a, tw- a twist or a turn where suddenly you, you're getting a lot more visitors than what you would normally be. And, mm. and it, 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 it throws you from your normal yeah, routine. I'm sure it does. Um, so that's, that's, that was the way, the way I, I, I dealt with it over the weekend. And mm. then on the Monday, I was back up. For the operation, yeah, and it, literally it was it was uh, an hour's operation. You know, removed the testicle. Basically, it was like having a hernia operation. They removed the testicle up through that funnel, 
and then they took it out, done the biopsy, results came back, and they done and they took a, f- a couple of swabs while he while he did that, and they come back and it was and it was positive. It yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, it, it hadn't spread anywhere. Mm. There was there was nothing in me in my lymph nodes, and as far as they were concerned, I could. I could start me me rehab and get in getting back to to fitness and within within five weeks I was back back yeah. playing again. Yeah. Well, you you used the word twists and turns a few seconds ago. I mean, talking about twists and turns, mm. I think it was about a year after your first operation, the medical people discovered a tumor. Yeah. Which, after chemotherapy, led to major surgery, and this was major surgery. And you talk about it in the book. I must say, in the most arresting terms, it was it's compelling reading. And I just want to read a, a passage a passage out of the book here. This is you talking. Yeah. In layman's terms, they'd opened me up, moved various organs out and to the side to get to the tumour, removed it, then put everything back in and stapled me up. The procedure was slightly more complicated than that, of course, not least because the tumour was sat right next to one of my main arteries. If they've cut that, then it could have been fatal. The pain that ripped through me was in a band around the centre of my bottom. It went from my back to the front of my stomach. I could feel the staples. I could feel my insides. I could feel everything. By now, the gibberish I'd been spouting in my semi-consciousness was beginning to make more sense. I started screaming and swearing at the nurse to get me some painkillers. The epidural hasn't worked, has it, she said. I'll see what I can find. The nurse came back with something. I don't know if it was paracetamol or what, but it was completely ineffective. The pain seemed to be getting worse. It was almost as if someone was sticking hot knives into me. By this point, I'd been wheeled round from the recovery room of intensive care. I need more, I said to the nurse. I've got to have something. I can't deal with this. Well, I mean, if ever that describes an awful time in a hospital and the pain you went through that does. I'm glad to say that she um, she came back with some more morphine. But even then, I gather, Alan, that, that they were overdoing the, the painkillers, weren't they? Yeah. What, what had happened is that in the, the 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 treatment room before you go in, I forget what the name of it is at the top, from the top of my head. Sorry. It was just, they were just, it's like where they prepare you for, for, for the operation. Pre-med. Sort Pre-med, of yeah. Yeah. And... You know, I'd had I'd had the, the 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 needle put in for for where they were going to the for the anaesthetic to go in, yeah. uh, where they were going to put me sleep. I had that all put in, and the only the last thing that needed to go in was was the epidural, and the doctors and the nurses were, I've got to say were fantastic. You know, they were yeah. they were they were amazing. You know, when the doctors come in and everyone's got the masks on, they're all in the surgical. Clothes and the doctor said, "Right, Alan, last little bit. Um, you'll be asleep in a minute. You know what we're going to do. We've just got to put the, the needle in, and that's it." Yeah. So the next minute, you know, if you if you can imagine the base of your spine up until halfway, yes. that's where the epidural should have went in. Ah, right. mine went in. So he's trying, and he was he was trying to shove the, you know the needle, and you know, knows an epidural needle they're quite big. Yes. So he's I was I was keeled over the bed, holding the nurse's hand, stretching my spine so that so that the needle could go in. Yeah. And next minute, I could feel the needle go in. No joy. The doctor's gone. Right, Alan said, um, got a bit of a problem. He said your muscles are too strong. Oh. He said it's not going in where where like. He says I'm going to have another little couple of goals. He says and see how we get on. 
So he's tried a couple of different areas and I can feel the needle grinding mm. in and the nurse is going, mm. you okay, Alan? going, mm. not really, but just carry on. I just want it in. <laughs> and um, anyway, it wouldn't go in. So the doctor's, you know, really apologetic, Alan. I'm very, very sorry, but it's not going in. I'm going to have to go a little bit, a bit, little bit higher because we need to get in to the, to the surgery and get the operation done. So the best way to describe it is that if you look, if you, if you looked in the mirror and you with your back round about your shoulder blades, yeah. that's where he'd got it in. So I'd had no pain relief from basically from there down to the from base your of your chest spine, down to the base of your spine, and that was where they opened me up. You know, yeah, it was probably yeah. about an eighteen inches, yeah. you know, opening, mm. um, and that that's where all the problems came yeah. from. But anyway, they solved this, Alan. They did, they did, and um, you know, I got up to the to the to my room. They were. The pain was obviously excruciating. The nurses came in, kept trying to give me painkillers. And in the end, they got me on a morphine drip. Yeah. But it wasn't working. And it was only t about probably three or four hours later, it started to kick in. Yeah. But because I'd had so much painkillers, my body completely shut down. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, from that moment, I just, you know, really panicked. I thought, oh, dear, what, what on earth is this? So the nurses come in, and the only thing that was that was moving was I was mumbling words because my lips couldn't move, and but my eyes. So it was just eye contact, moving my eyes left to right. I couldn't move physically anything on my body no. apart from my eyes. No. And she, she, the nurse went on to explain that because I'd had so many painkillers, my mm. body had shut down. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was a normal thing to do. But it was the scariest thing that I'd ever come across in my life, I've got to say. Well, you uh, you came through all that, Al, and uh, if that was the dark side of it all, the rest is very inspiring. I'm talking to Everton under-21 manager Alan Stubbs about his book, How Football Saved My Life. We'll be talking more to Alan after this break. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guest, former Everton captain and now the club's under-21 coach, Alan Stubbs, talking about his fascinating new book, How Football Saved My Life. In the first segment Alan we went through in very stark detail uh, the uh, all the medical procedures to get you through two operations but there you were on the uh, on the recovery trail your worst fears had been banished but again we talked earlier your determination to play football again you were back at Celtic and you say in the book what you describe as the capable hands of Brian Scott the physio at Parkhead and I gather he was a key man wasn't he? Yeah he was yeah. Scotty was was it was a brilliant physio. Um he was a quite a a not say when I say old fashioned but one of the older type of um physios who was very, very good with his hands. Yes. You know, nowadays you have lots of machines. Mm. Whereas, you know, if we had a, a, a strain or a pull anything, Brian would just feel it with his hands. He could literally put his finger on the it, yeah. and he could feel yeah, yeah. That, that when it was like it was either a little hole in the muscle or it was wasn't right or it was and he was a great physio. And we obviously because of my rehab coming back, we spent a lot of time together. Um and I was I think one of the major reasons why I was able to come back so quickly and and so positively from this was was Brian. You know, yes, he, he yes. was he was brilliant. He he spent a lot of time pushing me. He spent a lot of time pulling me back because I was too keen to get there too quickly. Yeah. And um, he he managed my you know 
frustration at times because I wanted to be back yesterday. Yeah, she wanted quicker, quicker. Yeah, yeah and he, yeah. he knew and he he was he spoke to me about it and listen, you know, if you get back too quick, mm. you could, you know, make it worse and he, instead yeah. of getting back in three or four months, you could be getting back in six months because you're going to have too many setbacks. Yeah, and yeah. he was brilliant with me and I had a, I had a huge amount of respect for, for Brian and, and the way he, he dealt with me and he... he probably dealt with all my tantrums and my frustration along <laughs> yeah. the way because it was like at times I was a bit of a, a raging bull yeah, you know right. trying to get out and trying yeah. to get back quicker than what yeah. really I was ready for and at the same time the manager Martin O'Neill he, he was he gave you a great psychological boost because you showed you mm. at the outset didn't you about your contract and yeah that. I was I was in the final year of my contract when I had the, the second operation and um, at the time you know because of what happened and you know, there was a lot of uncertainty around, you mm. know, uh, certain situations. And Martin, before I went into the operation, he just said, listen, Alan, he said, I just want to make you aware of this. He says, there's a two-year contract there for you. Um, don't worry about money. He says, that'll all be sorted. I will personally make sure that whatever you're looking for, it will be it will be, it will be, be done. Fantastic. And yeah. he didn't have to do that. No, you know, exactly. You know, I think sometimes you look at managers and I judge I judge a manager as a person and all. You know, and Martin first and foremost was a, was a was a brilliant person. He was. I've uh, known him since he was a schoolboy yeah. in Northern Ireland, actually. And I think that you know that was testament yeah. to him. And mm. as I say, he didn't have to do that. And you know, even though it wasn't the most important thing at that moment in time, it was peace of mind yeah, to think, well, sure, you know what, yeah. I don't have to worry about mm. that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, yeah. and it was something that he didn't have to do, but because of the man himself, mm -hmm. he took upon himself to do that, you know, and, and good enough, after I came out from the operation, there it was, I, I came in, you know, to to see the lads, and Martin just said, listen, Alan, when you're passing, just pop in for the chat. Gone in, you know, that five-minute chat was was an hour and a half, <laughs> yeah. and he said... Oh, yes, it would be. <laughs> yeah. And and, yeah. and rightly so, there on the table was the contract. He went, listen, there it is. Mm. It's 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 ready. And you know what? I never had to negotiate one thing. Fantastic. You That's know, fantastic. And that was, that was the, the hardest decision in the end because they'd offered me a contract and one that I was really happy with. But towards the end of the season... I knew Everton were interested. Well, can we just come to the point in May 2001, it was the moment you say you'll cherish for the rest of your life, you return to action for yeah. Celtic, a sub against Hibs at Easter Road. Yeah, and it was, it was you know, I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd probably say I'm not the most emotional person in, in the world. Um, I can be quite strong at times and I can keep my emotions intact. Mm. Um, but I've got to say on, on that day when... You know, Martin decided to bring me on as a sub with, I think it was about 25 minutes to go. Um, I've got to say, you know, I was quivering. You know, yeah. I was ready. I got a standing ovation from the from the whole of the grounds. I gather the Hibs fans as well. Yeah, Wonderful. everyone, Wonderful. everyone stood up, and mm. you know, and they were, every 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 fan was singing my name, and it was oh, like, oh dear, what do we do here? Yeah. You know, bite be me hard head. not like, to you know, be moved by that. Yeah, and you know, I did have to. When I've come on, I did have to, you know, wipe a few tears away. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm big enough to, to admit that, and it was, it was a, a real, real special moment. Yeah. Well, that came. Um, there's a lovely few lines you say here, in the book, which is called um, "How Football Saved My Life," where you say, um, 
I've played against some amazing opponents during my career, but cancer was the toughest one I've ever come up against. Play 2-1-2 two, two against an opponent like cancer. It doesn't get much better than that. And I think that really is the inspirational paragraph in the book because you've come through all this you're back playing again and uh, and you've won the and you've won the battle twice Al but then as you say shortly after that a great crossroads in your career because Everton were in mm. for you weren't they now what happened there yeah well it was it was come about really that my contract was up so I was available to go on a Bosman which had which had just come in just come in, in yeah. previous years and um, my agent rang me up towards the end of the season he said I've been in in a meeting all day um with with uh, with a manager so he didn't say it was to be to be to be, to be fair at the beginning and he said you know you'll be really happy with it and tongue in cheek I went oh is Alex Ferguson is it <laughs> yeah you know and they and he went no but you know in that area so um, I thought where would it be and I mentioned a couple a couple of other names reeled a few names off and he went, he says, no, you clown. He says, Walter Smith. Oh. And I thought, I thought, and I straight away, I've gone, you're joking. <laughs> what, Everton? And he's gone, yeah, yeah. He said, so, he said, he wants to meet you. Um, everything's, everything's agreed. Yeah. Um, all the terms, you just need to run it past you. He said, yeah. but everything's agreed. He just wants to speak to you. So I we went down to, to Walter's house and met him. And, and I, I had a dilemma because before that, I thought I what I was thinking was that you know am I betraying Celtic because of mm. what they'd helped me? Yes, I can understand. You know, and that, the way yeah. they the way mm. they'd helped me and mm. looked after not just myself but my family, the treatment that they'd provided for me. I'm thinking, you know, is that really selfish to walk away from what they'd done? And I was really torn between the two. And it was I had, I went and spoke to Martin about it and yeah. said, Martin, listen. Everton have, Everton have shown an interest. They've offered me a contract, and he said, "Alan, whatever you decide to do, I will back you one hundred percent." What a great guy! You know, and he said, mm. "He said, listen, that contract is there. You know, he said, I want you to stay. He said, let's make no bones about it. I want you to stay. You, you know, you, you're a big part of what I want to do here. Um, but if you go, he says, I can completely understand. He says, and and we'll be friends. Because no it was, it was your boy, your boyhood team, yeah, the team you dreamed of yeah. playing for." And in the end, I went home and spoke to friends, spoke to me, my family, and and I decided to to join Everton. And you know, it was it was a decision that I was, you know, I took time to think about. But once I'd made the decision, you know, I knew that I'd made the right decision yeah. because yeah. you only get sometimes you only get one chance for the, to to relive a dream. Yes, you do. You know, and yes, that chance may have never come about again if it, if yeah. I wouldn't have said yeah. yeah. You know, and I've got to say it was. It was the the best best decision that I'd ever made, you know, to to be able to say that you know I'd played for Everton. It was just amazing. And I think when the news broke, you, I think you say in the book, the only person happy than you was your dad, yeah, wasn't it? Because was, yeah. your dad had been great influence on you, hadn't yeah, he? Yeah, he had. He he was he was me. He was my backbone, really. Yeah. You know, he was yeah. the one that took me um, to from pillar to post through through rain, through yeah. snow, through everything. He was the one. That was the real driving ambition behind me. And the days you played at Windy Harbour, which is now yeah, the Liverpool FC it Academy. It is, yeah. Site. How ironic yeah, that. Uh, yeah, the that pitches was... there and in the street at Kirby. Yeah, we were we were there. You know, it's 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 a bit different now because we used to play on the corner against the walls on the grass on the grass verges, you know. And there was a lot of 
pictures about then, and yeah. unfortunately now, you know, there's not. I was going to ask you about that because if Walter Smith himself, stranger, the day he became Everton manager at the press comms, he was saying he was ruining the fact that, uh, like in England, in Scotland, you don't see kids playing in the street anymore. No. They're looking at screens in the house, aren't they? Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I think society has changed the yes. most. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, parents now are very reluctant to let the, the children play out in the street mm. because of what, what there is there, you know, with what goes on. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the dangers seem to be more relevant now, uh, whereas in them days, you know, you'd go out and Next minute, you get a shout from your from your mum or your it was dad. Dark. Yeah, you would, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then that was your cue to go in. Then, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah. basically, lights out was when you went in. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's that's changed, and um, it's it's great that well, it's great that I had an opportunity to to fulfil that, and it was great that my dad was there yeah. to to see me fulfil my ambition. Absolutely, and yeah. And, but more 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 importantly, I fulfilled his ambition. Yes. And that was to see me play for Everton. That's brilliant. Because, you know? I mean, you'd had uh, obstacles to overcome because as you grew into your teens, Everton were about to embark on that great era mm, under yeah. Howard Kendall in the 1980s. But you arrived just before that. You joined Everton Boys and you train after school. Yeah. People like you're looking up to people like Graham Sharp, Peter Reid, Adrian Heath, I believe, influenced your hairstyle. He did. You say yeah, in the book. He did, yeah. You got your hair to look like yeah, Adrian. I had a little yeah. perm at one, one stage, <laughs> which I'm not too. Um, but to... then at 14, you got the news that you say gave you one of the worst moments of your football life. Um, they told you you they were going to release you from yeah, Everton. It was, you know, that, that was that's football. Yeah. You know, it's. But you don't understand that then. I no, suppose. you don't. You know, you feel as if that's the end. You know, mm. Everton. It's it's great. The kudos of saying, "Oh yeah, I'm, at, I'm training with Everton," and suddenly, you know, they have to make a decision. It's you or another boy, and and they go with 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 the other lads, and you know, you 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 go away, and you, you do wonder, well, is that it? Yeah. But no. but in your case, within a fortnight, I think, yeah. you say in the book, a Bolton scout saw you play for Kirby Boys and you were on your way to joining Bolton, who were then, of course, still at Burnden Park and in the old third division, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And, you know, f from there on, you know, it was up to up to Briefly to down Park. to the fourth tier yeah, as well. Yeah, it was. Right? You know, we used to train at Burnden Park behind the, behind the back of one of the stands on a little bit of AstroTurf. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it all happened really quickly, you know, by the time I knew it, I was 16, I'd, I'd been offered a, a YTS, which it was in them days, you know, £27.50, um, which <laughs> seems a, a blast from the past. <laughs> I used to get the train from Kirby to Wigan and then from Wigan to Bolton and used to try and, you know, make up my wages through my expenses. You know, used to put the expenses yeah. sheets in, hide in the toilet so I wouldn't have to pay. So I could make a little bit more money <laughs> all the way from from Kirby to, like to Bolton, uh, but yeah. you know they were the days. Yeah, um, Phil Neal uh, was manager. You turned pro in 1990, and you were there for six years. You captained them in 94, 95 under Bruce Rioch. Twice reached mm. Wembley. Great experience. You lost to Liverpool in the League yeah. Cup final, but probably more importantly, you won the promotion playoff against Reading to go back into the top flight for the first time since 1980s. That was a big time in Bolton's history. Yeah, it, it was. We were, you know, we'd, we'd had a really successful time under, you know, under, under Bruce and, you know, we'd had a, we'd had a really good mix of experience and youth in the team. You know, myself, Jason McAteer, Alan Thompson, yeah. you know, John McGinley, Andy Walker, David Lee, Tony Kelly. Yeah. You know, so we had a, a real good team and caused a lot of upsets in the cup and then yeah. you know we managed to to fulfill our, our main ambition and that was promotion 
Well, there were two, you mentioned cups, there were two big uh, cup meetings uh, prior to that in, in uh, with Bolton going to Liverpool and then Everton, but we'll talk about that in the third part. I'm talking to Alan Stubbs, former Everton captain now, Everton's under-21 coach, about his great new book, How Football Saved My Life. Stay tuned. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guest, former Everton captain, now Everton under-21 coach, Alan Stubbs, talking about his great new book, How Football Saved My Life. We mentioned in the last segment, Al, that uh, there were two big cup meetings while you were at Bolton. In January 1993, they went to Anfield as a third-tier team as well and knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup in a replay. Sadly, yeah. though, you missed those games injured, but yeah. still, I guess, sweet being a, a boy at Evertonian. But then a year later, you were back on Merseyside in the FA Cup, this time at Everton. You not only played this time, yeah. but you scored. And it was a great win, this, because you'd come back from 2-0 down, hadn't you? Yeah, we had. And uh, I had a lot of family at the game. Um, needed needed a, a load of tickets for the, for the, for them, and uh, we managed to get get it back to to Goodison for a, for a replay. And you know, as you say, we come to come from two 0 down yeah. to win it three two in extra time. You know, was was it was a was a great uh, achievement for us. And um, do you remember was, much about your goal? I do a little bit. Yeah, I do a little bit. You know, <laughs> I tapped and I want ideally I wanted it to be at the Gladys Street end, mm. uh, but it was at the Park End end and. After the game, obviously, I was I was happy that we we'd won, but not happy because we'd knocked Everton out. And I, it was one of them games where I, I couldn't really win, really, no, you know, with with, no, me, with my family, no, you know. But no. my dad was made up for made up because we'd won the game. You have to be a professional. Yeah, you don't do, you? you do. You have yeah. to, you know, put your your loyalties to one side, you know. And I think that was one of the occasions where I had to do that. Yeah. Well, just before the start of the following season, July nineteen ninety four, there was a lot of speculation. Um, uh, that Liverpool uh, were going to sign you. In fact, you'd won an England B cap that mm. May. Uh, you beat Liverpool four-one in a pre-season yeah. friendly at Burn. That's when I first met you, yeah. as a matter of interest. Um, but you've since found out, or you've just told me mm. off air, that Roy Evans said he'd wished he'd sign you. Yeah, I, you know, I, I know Roy quite well from from. It was then functions. Liverpool manager. Yeah, he was the manager at the time, and you know, he's he's stated to me a few times that you know he was he wanted to sign me and. It was actually it was actually getting close at one point, and he he, he makes no no matter the fact is that to say that he, he went on to sign Neil Ruddock, but he he said to me you know he firmly believes that if he would have signed me, mm. he would have went on to win the league that year. So you know looking back now, <laughs> that would have been another yeah, one. Twist been a, on the really, emotions. Really strange one that one, you know. But I'm <laughs> um, glad it never happened. Looking back now, probably yeah, because it would have put me in a really you know. Mm. Difficult situation. Liverpool is a, is a great club, but when you're a blue, you know we've we've obviously seen evidence of it. You know, Michael Owen being an Everton fan, Steve McManaman doing yeah, it, Jamie yeah. Callagher. You know, yeah, so it, it does happen, and so I yeah. wouldn't have been, you know, by myself if that would have happened at the time. No, you wouldn't. Um, and then also there was a uh, a stage where you and Jason McAteer were close to joining Blackburn, who were mm -hmm. then champions, in a joint move. But then when Liverpool signed Jason, the whole deal collapsed. Yep. Then, of course, you then went to Celtic. 4.5 million record signing. Uh, just at the time, you and your wife, Mandy, expecting your first baby. Yep. Um, you got two Scottish League titles, two League Cups. Then you went through that amazing medical uh, experience we've talked about in great detail and then as we say shortly after you come back Walter signed you for Everton 
Uh, you succeeded people like Richard Goff and you partnered players like David Weir and Joseph Yobo. Mm. But that was the era of Gascoigne, Blancfish, Ginola. Yeah. It was a strange era as Everton. But then David Moyes arrived the following March and all that changed now, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. And, you know, when David came, I think for the first couple of years, we were a little bit yo-yo. We were a good season, a bad season, a good season. And then it was after probably the third year that we started to see a real sign of progress, you know, where we were season in, season out, becoming showing signs of, you know, climbing the table. Yeah. And after, I'd say, you know, maybe five years, you know, we started to become a team that was that was threatening the top six, top seven, you know, season in, season out. And, yeah. you know, he'd, he'd, he'd done a great job. No one, you know, I think every Everton, Evertonian will agree that he'd, he'd oh. done a fantastic job at Everton. Absolutely. And Wayne Rooney broke through. But even after he left for Manchester United, you helped Everton finish fourth in 2005, higher mm. than Liverpool for the yeah. first time since 1987. Uh, but your contract was up. The club yeah. offered you a one-year deal. You wanted a yeah. two-year one. Uh, you went to Sunderland, but six months later you were back at Goodison. I guess from the tone of what you say in the book, I think all round people had second thoughts. You and the club, didn't they? Yeah. There was stuff about a cancer clause. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. There was there was something about about the clause, and you know, obviously I was disappointed about that from from playing, and you know what I'd I'd contributed towards uh, Jordan that season um, in 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 achieving what we what was a, a fantastic achievement to yes. finish. With what we the squad of players we had to finish fourth was 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 unbelievable really, but now you, when you look back you know things happen and you know yeah David Moyes was big enough I was big enough to to put it behind us and and move on and did we both probably regret it yeah yeah we did and we we admitted that to each other you know but um, well that's sometimes great. You can do that. sometimes we can be a little bit stubborn yeah you know and yeah. I wanted a two year contract and I wasn't prepared to budge. The club wanted to give me a one-year contract because of my age. You know, who was right, who was wrong. You know, it's it's, it's nobody, one of them. Yeah. Perhaps nobody's yeah. right or wrong. Yeah. These things just happen sometimes. And then you stayed there at Everton until January 2008, a short spell mm -hmm. at Derby, and then sadly you had to retire with knee damage, but I guess after what you'd been through, that was minor <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah. And after more than 500 appearances in your career, 193 of them for Everton, um, but a month after that, Everton knocked on your door and you joined the coaching staff, Al. Yeah, it, it happened very quickly, to be honest. Uh, I just happened to pop in one day to get a signed shirt done and, you know, the man, David Moyes, said to me, he said, what are you up to? I said, I'm just coming to get a shirt signed. He said, do you fancy hanging around? I've got a press conference, you know, I might be an hour or so. I'd like to have a chat. Yeah. So anyway, stayed around a couple of hours later, had a chat and he was asking me, you know, what's your thoughts? What, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay in football I said yeah you know I'd, I'd, I'd love to manage you know I want to mm. go along that path and next minute he says well you can start here you can come in and start co uh, coaching with Andy if you want Andy Holden Andy at the Holden, time yes indeed yeah. who was who was I've got to say is was a godsend he was he was absolutely brilliant with I me I could imagine you know that, he, yeah. he he guided me he pushed me he probed me he learnt me so much he you know his experience was invaluable and I've got so much to be thankful to, to Andy Holden for. Yeah, and I know it's coaching, something you really enjoy, and you must get great fulfilment when, for example, the latest uh, off the production line, Ross Barkley, already an England cap, maybe, as Roberto Martinez says, a bit too early, but 
however, he's an England mm. captain. You must get great fulfilment over seeing players progress like that. Yeah, and it, it's I think it's it's a team effort, you know, because we we've the from the academy through to 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 Sheeds, and then quickly quickly to me because he Ross was so good. Kevin Sheedy yeah. to you, yeah. You know, we've we've all we've all played a part in it and you know, Ross has Ross has done fantastic up to now. He he would have been doing this eighteen months ago only for his injuries. Mm. Um yeah. but you you know, you mentioned about the England cap, which is great, you know, but um it possibly is a little, little bit yeah. early. We, we try and do keep his feet on the ground, which he will do because he's a he's a good lad. He's a very him. level-headed mm. boy, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's great, you know. We're obviously doing something right. Indeed. You know, so yeah. Yeah. long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, the uh, the history of Everton's production line over the last twenty years is is excellent. The number of players have gone on to play professional football. Yeah. Now this close season just gone Al you were interviewed even for the manager's job I know that Roberto Martinez has come in and uh, a lot of people say hooray to that but it shows underlines your managerial ambitions doesn't it really yeah it does and it was it was just you know I knew obviously with the way circumstances evolved with with David Moyes it was a bit strange to you honest because we knew he was going yes we still had a few games left and there was a lot of uncertainty about it and um we, I was down in London. We were playing Tottenham in the quarterfinal of the under twenty one league, and I just thought to myself, "I'm going to speak. I'm going to give the chairman a ring." And I rang him and said, "Mr. Chairman, yeah. is it possible if I could have a uh, a coffee with you?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah." He says, "What are you doing this afternoon?" I says, "Nothing." He went, "Come across." So sent a car for me, took me across, had a chat, and he was great. I've right. got to say, he, he yeah. was brilliant. He was he was what I expected and more. Oh, well, that's you know, great, and, yeah. And then he rang me up a few weeks later because, you know, there was obviously a lot of publicity around yeah, it, yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of names getting branded about. And he rang me up on the Friday and said, Alan, listen, you know, I was really, really impressed by, by your interview. He says, but we just feel as if we just need someone with a bit of Premier League experience. Yeah. yeah. And I just said, listen, I said, no problem whatsoever. I says, thanks very much. You didn't have to ring me. No. You didn't have to, you know, do that. But, I appreciate it, you know, and and that was it. Right. You know, it was great yeah. to have an interview. You know, did they have a chance? Yeah, you know, I don't know. No, because anyway, you, 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 you've that. set a marker down. You you've shown you're interested, Alan, and you're going the right way to achieve that ambition with what you're doing at the under twenty ones. Roberto Martinez, we haven't got much, very long left. Um, what's your first impressions of the man? He's 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 done really well. It's you know he's 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 tried to come in and, he, and he's. I think he's slowly trying to change the the mentality from from what we had with David Moyes, which you know, which is obviously is very strong there. We've had eleven years, yes, um, yes, and he's slowly trying to change it. He's, you know, he's got he's got more of a patient build up with the team, whereas sometimes David would want to play, but he would get the ball forward quickly. Uh, whereas it's a lot more patient with with the Roberto when he's wanting the players to to get on the ball and play. You know, yeah. so. There's good signs there, you know. His his training's been good. The players are responding to it. You know, we've had a, a great result at the weekend over Chelsea. Yeah. You know, which has made probably, in all fairness, uh, you know, it's his an first okay win, which he needs. Yeah, an it? okay start of the season. Yeah. To a yeah. to a decent start well, of the season. At, now. at the time of talking, they're still unbeaten. As yeah, well, and we're still unbeaten, yeah. which is great. And I think most Evertonians are pleased with the moves in the transfer market. I'll have to just give people details of the book. It's a it's a super book. Thoroughly recommend it. How Football Changed My Life, written in association with Tom Bromley. 
published by Simon and Schuster at 1899 and thoroughly recommended. Um, just very quickly, two stage shows, The Bill Shankly Story on Friday, October the 18th, followed by the Dixie Dean story on October the 25th, both at the Gladstone Theatre. Tickets from the theatre, 0151-643-8757. Alan, it's been a pleasure having you on the no, show. Thank you, John. I know you've got a very uh, a very crowded schedule. You're off to Scotland, Ireland. And very quickly, uh, your book has inspired uh, one man to go and get medical advice, Gary O'Neill, a player in the Republic of Ireland, and he's actually, um, he's actually having surgery all because he read your book. So you've, you've, you've done a, a great positive thing by writing it. Thanks very much, Alan. Thank you, John. From Alan Stubbs and myself, John Keith, from this edition of Strictly John Keith, goodbye. Strictly John Keith. City Talk 105.9.